All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back one more time. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and I'm joined with by Drew today, and uh, we are going to talk about the 2015 college football season. We've waited a long time, Drew. Too long, way too it, long. It felt like been, the off season was forever. I feel like this has been. I feel like I'm eight years old and I'm waiting for Christmas. Yeah, completely agree with that. Now Christmas comes, I'm convinced, at least seven times a year. At Minimum. least it, fe- it feels that way. <laughs> yeah. But college football still takes an entire year to get here. And we're 49 days away. And uh, I think it's imperative that we need to stop talking about what happened yesterday and look forward to what's going to happen when that ball is snapped in 49 days. Yeah, you you look at the top 10, we'll do our top 10, and can we disagree that Ohio State's number one team? Is there any argument there? I've seen people who are honestly saying TCU is the number one team, and I think that TCU's bringing all their players back, um, but so is Ohio State, and they won the national championship last year, so I don't understand. I think there's a bit of flawed logic in saying that TCU should be won over Ohio State. I don't see any any uh, valid arguments to make TCU number one. Uh, however, I do have TCU at number two, it, bringing back a lot of the players, as you said, with Boykin, Josh Dawson, all five offensive linemen. The defense, as we know, can be a slight hiccup for that whole conference, but especially TCU. But if they can lock down that defense just a little bit more, man, that offense is potent. Well, I'll tell you what, TCU initially to me was a no-brainer number two because of everything you said on, on offense, but they're losing four high-talent starters yeah. on defense, and I'm not so sure it's just going to be a smooth uh, transition. And they have, I'm not going to say they've got a ton of overly difficult games, but they've they've got some games where they are definitely going to be tested and it's going to make for an, an interesting situation. Um, at three, personally, I have USC and I know that you like USC, but not as much. Nope. I just see, uh, I really see Cody Kessler coming into his own this year. I think that even though Aguilar is gone, you have Juju Smith, Adore Jackson. You've still got a competent running game. I think offensively they are in a good position. I think defensively they can still deal. And uh, I think that they're going to surprise a lot of people. I think that by the end of the year, the primary quarterback talk is going to be about Kessler. I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, I could not agree more about USC. Like I said, I don't have them as high as you, but I definitely love Kessler and the returning offensive linemen. Uh, for me, my number three was Oregon. Uh, they return Royce Freeman. They return a great coaching staff, in my opinion. And they return an interesting quarterback in Vernon Adams, uh, transfer from Eastern Washington. And this is a guy that, can throw the ball, can run the ball, and is a very high IQ quarterback and is going to fit that system very, very nicely. Um, ha, has, it been, has it been confirmed that he's going to play? 
Uh, yeah, he he's going to enroll. He had some academic issues he had to finish up at uh, his previous school, but that should be taken care of by the start of camp. And there has been, to my knowledge, no red flags. I think it was a, a possible clerical issue on their end. Uh, however, it, nothing that is going to prevent him from uh, starting at Oregon come fall camp. Yeah, I don't have them in my top ten right now. But upon knowing, the last time we talked, I think there was some, we, we had yeah. kind of discussed that there was a little bit of an issue with his enrollment status right. at that point. Um, hearing that would potentially make me want to put them at the bottom of the top 10, but I'm still yep. going to sit them out into the top 10 because I I think that it's going to be a slight transition year for them. They're coming off a, a quarterback that was, you know, Mr. Oregon. Yeah. He, he became that program. And I think that's going to be a little bit of a tough transition for him. But, yeah, I like that program. They return a lot of receivers. Uh, it's going to be another – and, and I, I've heard a lot of really good things about Vernon Adams, so I'm really hoping that he yeah. uh, is an exciting addition to the team. Moving along, I have LSU at four. And interestingly enough, um, I probably changed my top ten. I wrote it for 30 minutes. I probably changed it 25 times. Yeah. I've been jumping around with A&M. Um, I'm higher on them than I probably should be. I just feel like, and we'll get to it later, but sticking with LSU... Um, I like Leonard Fournette. I do think that the quarterback is still uh, an issue to some extent. But they've got some really, really, really talented wide receivers. I think that that this could be a year that they put more of it together. And uh, they, you know, the three SEC teams on my list are kind of on my list almost solely because I don't know how to deal with that conference. Yeah. I, I like all three of them, and they all play each other. So you're going to see Alabama and LSU. You're going to see Alabama and, and A&M, and you're going to see A&M and LSU. So, yeah, and, and I couldn't agree more with the conference. You just don't know where to put them. Uh, for my four, I'm going to stay in that conference, but I'm going to go a different round and go Auburn. Uh, they, they return an interesting uh, skill set, guys. Uh, they return a quarterback, a couple quarterbacks who can really sling it. Uh, they 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 got to get better on defense though, but they got a big time offense that can really score a lot of points. Uh, I've I've absolutely no disagreements with that. Yeah, you know, moving on to to number five, uh, I'm I I don't like putting Florida State here. I think you have to with the talent they return. Uh, Man, legal problems. Legal problems all over the field. Uh, (laughs) Quarterbacks, running backs. uh, It's a laundry list of off-the-field issues that I don't know how Jimbo Fisher handles it. Um, You you bring in Ever Goldson from Notre Dame, uh, who we talked about that he was benched at Notre Dame, comes in to play quarterback. You know, returning receivers with Travis Rudolph, Ermon Lane, to, you know, high, high ceiling guys. Um, but can Ever Goldson keep his head on straight? And can he really focus on the game where it looked like at Notre Dame, he didn't want to be there? I mean, what do you, what do you think of Florida State a little bit? Um, personally, I watched the spring game, and the notes that I took were DeAndre Johnson, 
and Dalvin Cook. Mm, interesting. Um, the two words that come to mind right now for me are dumpster fire. I don't yeah. like the fact that they've, they're mired for a second straight year in legal issues. Winston was a nightmare last year. Yeah. Um, that team collectively just can't continue to be a team that, that has these players that are very talented and just are continuously getting in trouble. I don't have them in my top ten. Could, do they have the talent if everything works out properly to, yeah. to be a top ten team? Hey, absolutely. I mean, there was a point in time where, where Everett Golson was a high-producing, uh, fantasy-relevant and you know normal-relevant college football quarterback. Yeah. Um, but I just don't like... I just don't like that whole situation. And when I don't like something, I'm just typically going to remove myself from it and I'm not going to take much time to really really look at it that seriously. I'm just going to move along to another program maybe that, that's in that same conference and uh, wish for State all the luck and know that they have an uphill yeah. climb. For my five, I'm going to be at Stanford. Interesting. And I definitely think that they've got a solid defense. Their offense did not produce as well as I thought it would have. Was Montgomery, uh, uh, did he go out this draft or was it the draft before? Ty Montgomery. Uh, uh, this draft, I believe. Was it? Yeah. I, I don't just, have that in front of me, but I think it was. I think it was. I think it was this past year too, and he was one of those guys who I felt like was a major component, and I just don't feel like he was there that much. Yeah. Um, I just feel like Kevin Hogan's going to take the next step this year. I feel like uh, the running game, that is the big thing for for Stanford for me, is getting the running game back on track. And Redmond Wright, near the end of the year, was starting to do that. He still didn't put up overly impressive numbers, um, but sometimes... We're going to have to separate, especially for something like a top 10, we have to separate football good and fantasy football good. Right. You know, he put up good football numbers. Fantasy football numbers, probably not so much. Um, but I just like the, I, I like the position that they're in. I think that they can be one of those teams who might start out early 20s, late teens, and gradually just climb a spot or two a week until before you know it, they're undefeated and they're at six. And you're like, whoa, hey, there's Stanford. Yeah, they're, they're going to get tested real early the third game of the season at USC. It's, I think that game is going to determine so much early in the season. Absolutely. Uh, moving from Stanford, and again, this was a team that I didn't even initially have on there, and then once I really started looking at the schedule and assessing things, I went back and put Michigan State at six. I just I, I like what Connor Cook um, can bring to the table. It is a big loss with uh, Jeremy Langford moving on. Langford, to me, was a really <laughs> dynamic part of the offense. He yeah. seemed to play to his competition. So if they played Elon, he would have 10 carries for 14 yards. Yeah. And if he played Wisconsin, he'd have 30 carries for 260 yards and five touchdowns. He was just that kind of player that, that the level of competition seemed to be what carried him. I'm wondering, I wonder if we went back, and I'm not going to do it, but if anybody actually went back and looked at similar prototypical players like that, I wonder what their success in the NFL 
broke down to because you'd think you're kind of playing to that top level every week. I yeah. wonder if there's a correlation to to guys who really really did best in in big time situations in college going to the NFL and playing at that level. It would just be interesting to to kind of see that. But that's where I'm at at six. Where are you at? I'm gonna kind of go in a different direction, and I'm going back to the SEC, and I'm gonna go with Alabama. Uh, they're Nick Saban is is without a doubt one of the best coaches in college football. Take nothing away from him, but man, do they have quarterback issues? Is it Coker? Is it Sims? Is it somebody else? Is it somebody we don't Sims, know? Of? Sims, to my knowledge, is not there. Okay, so then it's going to be Coker. Yeah, I don't Honestly, know about that. I don't know. Apparently, about I looked that at old either. information. Uh, but they they just have major issues. All you know, at the quarterback position, you know, they didn't really step up during a season. And jumping from that real fast, going down to the next team I have at seven and talk about quarterback issues is Baylor. Uh, they lost Petty. Uh, they return a ton of good receivers with Coleman Cannon. Obviously, running back Shock Linwood is you know one of the best and possibly one of the best running backs in the nation. So I know you're high on the Big 12 and Baylor in general. So, you know, how do you feel about Baylor? Well... It does look like, just so we're on the same page, it does look like Sims is gone. I don't think that by any stretch of the imagination, Baylor has any quarterback issues. I mean, Petty didn't play the first, or he got hurt and didn't play some of the first parts of the game of the last season. And granted, they were against... um, How do I I say it in a nice manner? They were against less than quality opponents. So it's not like it was against TCU and Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, I think one was against Buffalo. So we're talking about some low-level teams. Of, uh, SMU. Yeah. So I think that Seth Russell is – is I don't think you're going to notice as much of a difference. And the thing with Baylor is they have a gaggle of receivers. Like, you just don't know – who's going to be that guy. Typically it is Corey Coleman, but they've got several guys, Levi Norwood, Lynx Hawthorne, Katie Cannon. I mean, you just don't know. Then they have yeah. a they have a, a, a 6 foot 7 408 pound professional wrestler playing tight end in some packages <laughs> and and a regular tight end. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. How do, you, how do you defend that? Is my question. You just let him go. Yeah, yeah. You, you just to. let him go and hope that it's the you take the chance that the ball's going to drop. I I don't really know how to respond to that. I mean, Baylor is my number seven, and and they were yours as well. So that was yeah. the, the the final one we completely and totally agreed upon. I think the thing that limits Baylor for me is they play their toughest games on the road. Yeah, they don't they don't have the luxury of of TCU at home. Um, that situation for TCU last year being on the road in Baylor ultimately probably costed them a better shot at the national championship tournament. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Now they're playing at home. I don't know that Baylor is going to, uh, I, I just don't see this Baylor team contending that one specific game with TCU that, and that's really all that matters. I mean, Basically, last year, I think one through seven before the bowl games all only had one loss other than Florida State. Does that sound correct? Right. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Is my best I, knowledge. I definitely think that could be a similar situation this year, and that one loss for Baylor would be TCU. Moving on from there, I have Clemson. Again, you're talking about a defense that I personally really like. Um, I th- from looking at their schedule, there was nothing that made me go, "Oh, that's not winnable." Uh, ultimately, Deshaun Watson is the wild card. Yeah, he's oft injured. If he stays healthy and he's productive like he was in the limited action he had last year, I think that's a tough team to beat. Yeah, they. I, I don't have their schedule in front of me, but they they have a definitely a good chance in the ACC, which isn't the strongest conference in the nation. But they definitely have a good shot of making some noise for a down Florida State. NC State might be the biggest competition on that side. Um, on the other side, you look at Miami, Virginia Tech. So they definitely have a chance to make some noise. Uh, my number eight, talked about it already, but as USC, uh, I love what they're doing down there. They're coming off probation. They got all their scholarships back, and they have players everywhere, man. Southern California high school football, still a hotbed, still great for recruiting. That return a deep offensive line, good running backs, a great coaching staff, and you look at uh, talking about coaching staffs. You look at my number nine. That's Michigan State. Uh, how do you go against a, a guy that has put up defenses that stop, uh, you know, the best offenses in the nation predominantly? Um, they lost their defensive coordinator. I understand that, and Pat Narduzzi to Pitt. Uh, they returned the best defensive lineman in the nation, and Shalik Calhoun. Uh, quarterback wise, you know they returned Connor Cook. Interesting. Uh, probably a prototypical NFL guy, you know, tall guy, big arm, doesn't really like to move. But, again, that fits their system very well. And, uh, you know, I'm just really high on Michigan State this year. In a, in a, in a them, in Ohio State, Big Ten, That that's, it's going to be those two teams. Yeah, you're not going to get any argument with me on that one. Those were the two um, Big Ten teams I had as well. My nine is, is Alabama and Basically, they're there because I just think that they could lose one to two games this year, and they've lost their biggest producers with TJ Yeldon and Amari Cooper, and Sims isn't there, so you're going to have another change of quarterback. That could end up being a positive. I don't know. But I just don't, even though I think they do a great job recruiting Another fact is it's been like, what, 17, 18 years since a team has repeated as SEC champion? Yeah, it's, it's a, it is a very balanced... I mean, you can't look at that as a dominant statistic and just assume, well, yeah. Alabama can't do it. I mean, we're not talking like 120 years, we're talking 18, which is long, but at the same time, yeah. I mean, if you recruit well and play well consistently, you could definitely beat the odds. I just don't see that happening this year, and that goes into my 10. If they somehow luck out and beat both LSU and Alabama, I don't know what stops TCU, or uh, Texas A&M, I'm sorry. I really don't. Offensively, I like Kyle Allen. He was such a better player than Kenny Hill. He can still move in the pocket. He could run if he needs to. He could throw. They're bringing back a ton of talented receivers. I think Josh Reynolds might be the only guy who's not with them anymore. So they're bringing back a lot of really high-caliber guys. And look, they're going to throw the football because they don't have running backs. 
You know, I don't I I don't know who their starting running back is. I I think it might be Atavius yeah. Mathers who had like 400 yards last year. So that tells you all you need to know. They're going to throw the ball, they're going to throw the ball, they're going to throw yeah. the ball, and when it seems like they're going to run, they're probably going to throw the ball. What what puts them in the discussion for me, I think is the acquisition of LSU's former defensive coordinator. Yeah. I think A&M had gotten beaten up at times and the guy who was the defensive coordinator, I'm sorry his name escapes me. Chavis, right? Chavis, that's him. it, yeah. Yeah. He had a top 15 Always. defensive efficiency defense. If he can bring that to A&M, that's going to go a long way because they can put up points. Yeah. And he knows the conference very well, too. Very I mean, clearly. Uh, I mean, yeah, obvious, but that's that's a huge get you know, for them. Uh, you, you talk about passing the ball and to go off that. You know, my number 10 is Arizona State, huge arm quarterback. Uh, I'm going to try to pronounce his name. I apologize if I get it wrong, Mike. Uh, Berzakovsky. I, I, I probably butchered that. I apologize. I think it's Berkovsky. Okay. Like that. Yeah, and, that, and that's fine. Uh, but, but Mike, he's got, he's a great – he's got huge, huge arm. Uh, they returned DJ Foster, the running back. Uh, probably one of the most underrated running backs in the nation. Can I correct you? I don't think Foster's returning as a running back. I think they're putting him – uh, I think they're putting him as a receiver, and they yeah, are, he's yeah they're more of that H back type role. Like, yeah, the other kid's very good. His name escapes me right now. Demario, okay, yeah, yeah, Demario Richards, something like that. I, I think yeah. I got that wrong. Regardless, they they return some talent on offense, and they return you know just as much talent on the defense. You know, their linebacking core is one of the best in the nation. So, you know, they, they, they I think they're going to be they're going to make some noise in that Pac-10, 12 whatever you want to call it. It's always a Pac-10 to me. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that they're in a good position, and they're one of the teams I considered for my top 10. Who do you have as your top improving teams? For me, I go back to the ICC, and it's Auburn. Uh, you know, they're a, they're a 500 team coming into a top 10. Um, obviously, uh, Jeremy Johnson uh, takes over the role at uh, quarterback, you know, replacing Nick Marshall. Um, interesting stat: Their defense gave up 6.4 yards per play last year. They gotta get better. You know, they return six starters. You know, on that defense, they get Will Muschamp. You know, who is a defensive guy at heart. Um, they also get Georgia and Bama at home, uh, which are two uh, must-win games uh, in in a conference where supposedly it's the it's the best. But uh, if you take care of home field. And I, I don't, I don't see a reason why Auburn can't be a, a much improved team from 500. Did you say they gave up 6.4 yards Six, per play, or is yes. that yards per carry? It's it, it, my it, by site that I was looking at. They gave up 6.4 yards per play. I don't, I don't know. It, it seemed odd to me, but after going back and looking at it, they gave up a ton of yards. Yeah, I. I could definitely see them on the the improving list. I I already talked about Stanford, so I'm not going to go back to them. But I think another interesting team is Penn State. Overall, they had an amazing defense last year. And I I think other than Michigan State, they probably are the biggest potential hiccup on Ohio State's schedule. Now, Ohio State is playing them at home this year, so that's a little bit of a help considering they had a really close call with them at Penn State last year. Yeah. 
if Penn State can turn up the running game a little bit more to take some of the pressures off of Hackenberg and the receivers, and that's going to be on Akeel Lynch in the offensive line, if they could do a little more, that could be a team to look at. Yeah, they, they're going to make some noise in the Big Ten. They they don't have a – looking just catch right now. They uh, Obviously, they got to travel to Ohio State, which is never easy. Um, it's a night game, which is even harder uh, for a, a team like Penn State. But the, their quarterback is you know, Hackenberg is is an NFL top pick, hands down. I mean, there's just nothing else to say about them. Is that they're going to be a good team? Which is interesting because I didn't think that they would be this good this quick after their sanctions and their on sanctions because they got all their stuff back, which is very strange to me from NCAA. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, moving on to. Uh, my other improving team, I got one more, and and this is an interesting pick even when I'm about to say it, but uh, the University of Pittsburgh, you know, they they uh, they get a head coach in Pat Narduzzi. Obviously, it's his first year. Um, they scored uh, 30 points or more in their last five games. They're an offensive team that, with Narduzzi coming in, running the defense, is going to be a lot better. Um, they return eight starters uh, on the offensive side of the ball. Obviously, James Conner, a great running back. Tyler Boyd, interesting. Uh, possible legal issues, not sure how to define that. Um, it's still ongoing. Um, but if he's suspended for any amount of time, that's going to hurt them. Uh, they luck out in the ACC by not having to play Florida State, Clemson, or NC State on the crossover from the Atlantic to the Coastal. Um, so they're going to make some noise in that Coastal division. Yeah, I I think we're going to talk about them one more time uh, in a couple of minutes here when we get to some of the games to look forward to. But I'm not in a, I'm not in disagreement with you. My last improving team is Notre Dame, and that's based off of where they left off. Uh, I think that they're another team that could be Ohio State ish in the sense that they probably have a chip on their shoulder yeah. because they were in the conversation for a bit last year. And by the end of the year, people were wondering, like, why did we ever do that? You know, why did we? Why was Notre Dame ever a yeah. team we were talking about? And they're returning some good pieces on offense. The defense isn't in a bad position either. If Zaire stays consistent and and really gets a handle on that offense, I think that they they could have a good year. Again, we go back to their schedule. They jump around conferences, so they're seemingly yeah. always playing, you know, decent to, to high-quality teams, so that will be interesting. Yeah, uh, it's interesting now that Notre Dame has to play that five ACC games. You know, they're in that partnership with the ACC right. where they're not actually in the ACC and everything else but football. I don't, I don't understand that. They should just join the ACC, but that's for another day. <laughs> I think that we'll start to see that. I mean, it's down to three yeah. teams. I can't imagine yeah. there being much validity into staying independent. It only makes sense if we're talking about improving teams to kind of look at the uh, opposing side of that. And uh, I'm going to start with Florida State. After the spring game, I remember watching it and calling you and saying, I'm not writing Florida State off. I like what they have. And I think this was actually before – this was well before the uh, Everett Golson transfer when mm. they had planned on starting Sean McGuire. Yeah. Uh, I had watched him and I thought, okay, he's serviceable, but this kid, DeAndre Johnson, man, he's got like such a range. He's got a good arm. He can maneuver. 
it wouldn't surprise me if something happened to McGuire if this kid got in the game and, and Florida State was looking at his next quarterback for a couple of years. Um, I yeah. said the same thing about Dalvin Cook, and I was just like, you know, he was a good asset last year, but knowing that he was going to have an even better opportunity this year, I really thought that this team was going to be, you know, it, they were going to slyly pick up just where they left off while everyone else was probably like, well, Winston's gone and Rashard Green and blah, blah, blah. Look, those two arrests, in my opinion, killed my view on that team. And I, I may end up looking back five weeks, eight weeks in and saying I was completely off. I don't see it. Yeah, they and, and that's what kind of one of my declining teams too. And I'll just kind of keep going with what you're talking about there. They had 39 wins in the past three years. They had nine wins in Jimbo's first five years. That, that's you can't you cannot continue to recruit these guys that are you know off the field issues. And you look at Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Johnson. They they're Dalvin Cook was a Heisman contender. He really was. And DeAndre Johnson, as we said, you know, coming off the spring game looked good. You know, he was <laughs> penciled in to be the starter. Obviously, we know now that's going to be Ever Goldston. Uh, we think, we think. Uh, you know, and also, interesting note, they return one starter from the offensive line from last year. So whoever the running back is, whoever the quarterback is, has got to mesh well with their offensive line quick. Uh, speaking of offensive line, you look at my next declining team, and that's Oregon. Um, obviously, when you lose a guy like Marcus Mariota, um, I think you can only regress. Uh, I don't know if there's another Mariota running around on Hawaii, but uh, you know, you bring in a guy like Vernon Adams, who I've talked about, you know, in the in the past. Um, if a guy coming in from Eastern Washington can just uh, throw the ball, you know, uh, over 3,400 yards and 35 touchdowns. Uh, he, he doesn't like to run, you know, 285 rushing yards, six touchdowns last year. Not a guy that likes to run, but can, you know. So I think that's going to fit well at Oregon with Freeman and these guys coming back from injuries from the receiving core. Um, I, I really like uh, what their potential is. However, potential doesn't always translate. So uh, you got to put them on a declining team list. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you there. It's it's. It kind of even goes into my next declining team in the, in the mentality that sometimes when you lose a guy or a few guys who have been so much of a part of your team, it, it, the deck just needs to be reshuffled. And that's what I feel is going to happen with Alabama this year. Uh, a down year for Alabama is going to be a bottom 10 or a top 12 team. Yeah. I think they're still going to be in the conversation, and, and, and they're not going to miss a bowl game. It's not going to be a team that gets no. ranked outside the top 25. But I don't, I don't look at their roster, I don't look at their schedule, and I don't think to myself, yeah, this is going to be a team that's contending at the end of the year for a national championship. Alabama yeah, it, will prove people wrong, uh, but absolutely. I just don't see it. You know, and maybe this is the year where everybody's counting on Alabama, and maybe this is the year where they just obliterate everybody and they go 13, 14, 15 and 0 and just are blowing teams up by 50. You know, Nick Saban is is that good of a coach. You know, he he can get those guys motivated and look at the media and look at the newspapers and go, "Look, nobody believes in you. We're Alabama, nobody's even talking about you. You're talking about you in the top 10. Are you kidding me? We should be the number one team." I think Saban is really good to use that bowling some board material. And while I don't disagree that I, I I can see them losing two to three games, um but yeah, for them that it would be the definition of a decline, and that kind of phases into my last declining team, 
and uh, that's Ole Miss. Um, you lose your quarterback in Bo Wallace, who might not have been the best quarterback, you know, in Ole Miss history. However, he he, he proved that he can win some games and can some put up some points. Uh, they bring back Treadwell at the receiver, who was healthy, um, and if and if he can come back at ninety nine percent, you know, at the start of the season, there's no. Uh, it's tough that you know that this team is is going to decline. Uh, but yet, they're, in my opinion, you know, Treadwell, Laquan Treadwell, is capable of single-handedly, you know, depending on who's throwing him the ball, he's that good of a talent. Um, but again, coming off the injury, you never know. Uh, you know, running back, they have depth, but they're all unproven. Uh, so they, they have a brutal schedule, you know, at Bama, at Florida, at Auburn. They get LSU at home, and they're at Mississippi State. So I definitely see a team on a decline here. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that their schedule is tough enough and they're going to be in another rebuilding stage. So it's not a program that I'm really expecting no. big headlines out of. Moving right along, I think we could each uh, talk about some games we're looking forward to. And what tops my list and, ironically, your list, mm-hmm. quite simple, is, is I think it has to be one of the two biggest rematches of the year. Um, and I think it's the better of the two because the other one, which you have on your list, uh, you know, it's, yeah. it's not even going to be a football game. But this game is going to be amazing, and that's Baylor and TCU. This game is going to be seventy-five to seventy-six. Yes. So you know, take probably, the probably over. the third quarter. Yeah, take the over, whatever it might be. But you know, this game is going to be a daily fantasy player's heyday. You know, you're going to see teams out there that stack every single player from Baylor, every single season. You know what I mean? You're just going to get every player you can in here. That's going to be a ton of fun to watch at TCU. Well, it falls at a position in the season where that actually won't yeah. be true because well, the pricing is just going to, by time the season picks up and they're going to realize that Baylor and TCU score points, you're going to be able to, you'll be lucky to get three players from that get that game on your team. That's my prediction. I think Boykin's going to be highly priced. Russell by that point. Corey Coleman will start out most likely as the most expensive wide receiver. That yeah. would be my thought. Um, but it's going to be a great game. My next uh, game, since neither one of us have another game that matches, is Alabama and LSU. Because I, I just, again, you throw A&M in there and you just interchange all those players I think it's a it's it's going to mean a lot in the direction that the SEC ends up going this year. Yeah, that that are two mainstay, you know, top of the top of the heap teams, and they have to prove to everybody that they can. They, I don't know. I'm just so not buying the SEC this year, man. I I don't think any of those teams outside of Alabama, you know, you talk about everybody else is a sleeper team, and we're going to get in the SEC in a bit, but. Man, I'm just I'm just not not interested in that game. Not gonna lie at all. That's fine. It's kind of funny that <laughs> the, if two teams from the SEC go like twelve and zero or twelve and one, the SEC is dominant. And yeah. if, they, if they go like eight and four against each other, they're a tough division. They're beating up on each other. Like there's no way that the SEC gets painted as like, well, maybe it's just a bunch of middling teams. Yeah, and but they're it top could heavy. be that way. Yes, and, and I they're don't top. Disagree. They're the most top heavy conference in the nation. Uh, I just I don't understand why I, and I've been like this for years. I don't know if it's just my SEC hatred, and I know I'm going to get a lot of it. But man, I'm just not. 
interested in seeing those type of games. I'm so, maybe I just want to see some action. Maybe that's, that's all I want to see. I want to see some midweek action. I want to see some, you know, CUSA teams go at it. I want to see Hawaii and just just light up the scoreboard. Now, it, it, you made a comment a second ago that's interesting that my number two game, Oregon at Michigan State, isn't going to be a football game. No, that's Kinda. not the one I was referring to. Oh, I'm sorry. I was referring to the last game on your list. Oh, okay, okay. We'll talk about that in a second. But real fast, let's go to Oregon and Michigan State, the rematch of last year where it wasn't a game, actually. But I'm interested to see it, see how Oregon comes out early in the season, you know, playing a Michigan State team with a new defensive coordinator, plugging in some new defensive parts. Uh, I, I'm, I'm interested in this game. I'm going to watch it for sure. Yeah, I will as well. And it has far-reaching implications just because, let's say, Michigan were – let's say Oregon – defeats Michigan State but has a subpar remainder of the year yeah. and somehow Michigan State beats Ohio State, you have to assume at that point that the scenario would dis- it would constitute both of those teams being out of the playoff race. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at the perception of the Big Ten, Michigan State has to win this game at home, you know, for the Big Ten to be felt as that dominant conference like they used to be. I agree. I see the next game on your list is uh, TCU and Oklahoma. Yeah, that's. I'm interested in that game too. I want to see what Oklahoma can do. You know, I know that's middle, later half of the season, but uh, hopefully, at that time, Oklahoma is is ranked. You know, in the top fifteen. I I think TCU is going to be a top ranked team. You know, most of the season. So I'm interested to see. And you know, if TCU comes into Oklahoma, blows them out, does Bob Stoops survive? You know, I hope he does, but it's an interesting question. It, it it definitely is. I mean, they have to improve upon eight and four, but I just I I literally would be willing to bet on Ohio State and TCU at the end of the year. I, I don't huh. I just don't see a situation really where they they don't end up there. But it's college football and anything yeah. can happen. Uh ironically enough, my next game is Ohio State and Michigan State. It's very interesting because it's ultimately a game Ohio State could not lose. It's too late in the season. Yeah. And uh yeah, you do I think I think that's one of the big things. If Ohio State had lost to Virginia Tech in like week eleven, it could have been an entirely different yeah. story. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, and, I I think the losses do kind of matter where they fall at. Yeah, and I think the you know that game is interesting more so on what happens the next week for Ohio State. You know, playing at Michigan, you know, at Harbaugh's first game against Ohio State, and I think you know do they get caught looking ahead? I don't think they do. You know, playing Michigan State at home, but it's just a, it's a little interesting caveat right there. I agree. My next one is Stanford at Notre Dame, just because I have Stanford within my top five, and I have Notre Dame as an improving team. Um, I just think it's going to be a good football game, and it means a lot for the program in Stanford next year. I think it means, at this point, I think it means more for Stanford than it will Notre Dame because I don't feel like Notre Dame is in my conversation like Stanford is. Yeah, no, I don't think anybody believes that Notre Dame is going to come out and be a top-four team. I, I don't know. I've I've read a lot of publications, but... I mean, everybody's saying that they're a possible sleeper team. I know we've talked about it, but, you know, that game definitely, definitely is, uh, that's interesting, though. That's, that's an interesting, interesting game that I'll definitely be watching. Another game I'll be watching, September 12th, Oklahoma at Tennessee. 
interesting, interesting non-conference game here. I'm a Josh Dobbs fan. Yeah, man. I mean, Tennessee could – I mean, we're not talking about them, but I think Tennessee could be a sleeper team in the SEC. You know, they're not, you know let me take that back. They're either going to be a conversation in the SEC or they're going to be a one-win team. I don't think there's, an, there's a middle ground for Tennessee this year. Uh, I like what Butch Jones is doing down there. I just don't know if he's there yet. And I think Oklahoma, for this team, they have to go into Tennessee and they have to beat them bad. I really do. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that's going to be an interesting game. And it should be. I, I look for Josh Dobbs to surpass, I think, what a lot of people think he's capable of. Yeah. So it's going to be a good year for him. What's your final game? <laughs> this is a game I think you alluded to before, Ohio State-Virginia oh, yeah. Tech. It's not and, a football game. And here's here's why I think it's interesting. It's a must-watch game. It's a Monday night. It's going to be an absolute bloodbath. And that's why it's interesting. Ohio State has to score at least 95 points. Minimum. Minimum. I mean, whatever I mean, the over is. Ridiculous. I mean, take Jalen Marshall. Take the quarterback. Take Johnny Dixon at receiver. They hate the whole squad because they're going to be minimally priced because nobody's going to know who's going to be what. But, my God, this game is going to be fun to watch because Urban Meyer is going to be pumping in these guys for the last however many months it has been since they lost Virginia Tech. They're just going to be pumped full of every press clipping and every media clip and everything saying how bad Ohio State was against Virginia Tech. They're going to roll into Virginia Tech, and they're going to – it's going to be fun for a fan to watch, though. Yeah. The odd thing about this game is I don't think it's going to be included anywhere. Neither will the Marshall-Purdue game because they fall Sunday and Monday. And they're, yeah, not, they, they're not going to hold the Saturday slates. And they don't the, – the, the, the years don't start off because the MAC teams play the Big Ten teams a lot of time yeah, at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the year. So the weekday schedule tends to be much flatter where you get like three games a week until the middle of October. So sadly, I don't think – there will be a situation where they'll be playable on the one site. On the other one, who's a little more yeah, because open. I think they, yeah, they could go Saturday night and then Sunday, Monday. They could. There's there's a potential they might do that, or they might lump them in with the Thursday, Friday games. I'm not yeah. entirely sure. My yeah, final but way, game, it's be fun to watch. My final game is an absolute homer game, but I think there's some real conversation to be had there, and that's Pitt at YSU. Yeah. Opening opening weekend, you have the narrative of Pat Narduzzi, who played under his father yep. at YSU. To my rec, to my knowledge, he did at least. Yeah, um, yeah. You have Pelini coming in to YSU. He brought some coaches. They have three one A transfers who are coming in on their defense. Um, they were not a bad team to begin with. They beat Pitt two years ago. Uh, Tyler Boyd got a DUI that yeah. he's going to try to plead down. I cannot imagine that he's going to be playing this game. If he's not, I think that this is the most likely game week one to result in an upset. Yeah, I mean, and for us living in Northeast Ohio, we live in the Youngstown area. Like, that, you know, YSU is in our backyard. And this game for us, you know, for anybody listening to this that's in the Northeast Ohio area, Narduzzi, and Pelini went to rival high schools, you know, when they were both mm-hmm. in high school. So that that's another interesting little tidbit. But man, this game is going to be fun to watch. I, I just, I really feel, and I agree with what you're saying. YSU, 
brought in a transfers, you know, three transfers from D1 schools. They're ready to play. They're, you know, four-star recruits, you know, coming in with a Bo Pelini, uh, who's bringing his hard-nosed coaching style, his hard-nosed with officiating in the media and everything. He's coming into YSU, and, man, he's got he's got that team ready to go. Absolutely. So that'll be a, a – those will be, you know, nine good games to watch yeah. next year. Uh, moving along, we talked about our top ten list in terms of teams. Why don't we take some time to look at our, our positional top five lists? And uh, we'll start, of course, at quarterback. And I'm just kind of scanning off of your list so we don't double up. Uh, Trayvon Boykin. Yeah, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Yeah, I think from and, – and let's be clear that the our positional players are done from a fantasy perspective. Yeah. As opposed to like, well, this guy's going to be the best because right. you're not going to see Mac or Conference USA players in the big discussions at the end of the year for yeah. Heisman's and, and best quarterback. It's going to be a very, very, very slim chance that you will. But there are tremendous fantasy implications with some of these players. So we have Trayvon Boykin as our unanimous number one. He just does it all. He, right? he's, I mean, a, he's the go-to guy. I mean, like you said, he does it all. There's no – I mean, everybody knows what he does. <laughs> the next guy we have in common is Deshaun Watson, and I think he's in the same position too. I think he may actually be better on his feet. Yeah, if he, you know, if, he, if he's healthy, I think is the bigger, bigger concern, correct? I mean – It's it's an if, and the coach, uh, Dabo Swinney – Dabo Sweeney, yeah. I will always refer to many coaches with their full name because Dabo Swinney is just a great name to say. I love saying it. Dabo Swinney. They just have great names. Yeah. Um, but I, coach speak is what you have to watch out for. I've learned even before Daily Fantasy just as being a normal fantasy player that coaches just will lie. You yeah, know, they'll be like, oh, this guy's healthy and he's going to yeah. be great because he wants the other team to think that's what's going to happen. Well, I don't I don't need that mess, okay? I'm yeah, trying to figure out field. who's going to play. I'm trying to figure out who's going to be targeted. I don't need coach talk to get me all confused. I can yeah, confuse exactly. myself, okay? <laughs> you know, you watch the league. You know Ruxin. Ruxin can't he, – he tinkers and he tinkers and it always ends up hurting him. Well, we do that the same way in, in daily fantasy. You make a lineup. You look at it. You think, well, yep. maybe this other guy. I don't need that, okay? I don't need anything else to get me confused. I can confuse myself enough. Anyway, after that, we have Dak Prescott, again, another um, multifaceted quarterback who can just do it all. His He's going to be more exclusively running, I think, yeah. than passing. And to me, I don't – first of all, he's going to carry the highest or close to the highest price tag. And I like legit dual threats who – can pull like a 400-yard passing, 100-yard rushing, two touchdowns rushing, three touchdown passing. I'd rather have a Boykin, whereas Prescott is much, much more dependent on the run, I think. Yeah, which in, in, in daily fantasy, you know you get more, as a, you know, for, as a quarterback position, you know, for the rushing touchdowns. So a guy like that is just is just so valuable when it comes to that type of stuff. And I don't I disagree. Can, I like the offset, though. You know what I mean? I like yeah, oh, absolutely. Guy's, if he's having a bad day running, he could still pass. He's going to you know, that's what I would prefer. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty much it for our common quarterbacks. Um, 
the next guy on my list, I'll, I'll just talk about the two on mine, and then you could talk about the, the, yeah. the four on yours. Mm. Um, my next one's Brandon Doughty from Western Kentucky, and that might not be a name that the average college football fan knows because he plays in the smaller conference. He's in the Conference USA, um, but he is a graduate, and so he's on his last year of eligibility, to my knowledge. And uh, Western Kentucky is an offensive powerhouse. I I, I kind of refer to um, Western Kentucky receivers uh, as little bailers because you just never know where the targets are going to go. They had basically five receivers last year that had interchangeable stats. Um, so from a fantasy perspective, you're going to want to look at those guys pretty much only for tournaments because they're not like Sterling Shepard that you could count on getting the catches for the team. They're not like Corey Coleman. They're not like Rashard Higgins. They're like uh, Texas A&M where it's a new receiver every week. But but as far as Dottie goes, man, he, he, he can put the ball in the air. He'll score you some points, and, and a lot of times he'll be overlooked because nobody, not not enough people have given him his just due and he isn't discussed enough. Uh, my final guy, and I'm hoping that he bounces back, and I think he might have a small ownership to start off because he wasn't so hot last year, and that's Marquise Williams. And We talked about him a little bit already, but he brings a, a great dual threat to the table, and I think if he is able to really improve upon the things that he struggled with last year, he's going to be a, a, a very tough quarterback to contain. Yeah, you know, his team around him has got to get better. But, yeah, he can definitely <clears throat> he can definitely break a game open with his feet or his arm because he has a pretty pretty decent arm. Uh, speaking of good arms, Cody Kessler, USC. I, I, man, the, this kid is he's a Heisman contender. I mean, you look at everything he has around him, and I know I've said it before, but USC coming off everything, they're going to be better. And, and I don't think they're getting enough press right now, maybe because we're on the East Coast, maybe on the West Coast they're getting all the love. But I just think this team's going to be uh, going to be a top top 10, top 5 team at the end of the year, at the end of the year. Uh, a team that I don't think will be in the top, or a team that I do think will be in the top uh, one or two is Ohio State and any quarterback. Talk about quarterbacks, throw one. It doesn't matter. Pick a name. Every game, pick a different name. It doesn't matter. Uh, Braxton Miller, Cardell Jones, JT Barrett. Torrance Gibson, Stephen Collier, does not matter. Uh, the weapons that they have with Zeke and Jalen Marshall, Dontre Wilson, Johnny Dixon, Michael Thomas, just throw the Ohio State quarterback out there. Yeah, I agree. They're, they all definitely stand a tremendous chance to be top fantasy producers. I'm personally going with Barrett as being the starter. What about you? Uh, yeah, I agree, which is weird. We don't know from the – can't really debate our, that one. But, yeah, JT Barrett, <laughs> I mean, he's a starter. Our running backs are, are a little more separated uh, just looking yeah. at the lists. Um, our number one common running back is Ezekiel Elliott, and we've spent yeah. copious amounts of time yeah. talking about the talent that he has already. Um, and same with our second uh, player, Samaj P. Ryan. You know, I think it's pretty clear that both of these guys are top-end talents with a lot of upside, and um, they'll both be poised to put up 1,700-plus yards in uh, – 20 plus touchdowns this year, I think. 
yeah, move, they're, they're just top two guys. Moving along, I kind of veer differently than you. I think you stay more in the mainstream with yours, I where, where I definitely head towards some of the smaller conferences. My number one running back this year is Kareem Hunt. Look, I don't know if you watched the Toledo Bowl game, yeah. and I don't think they were playing anyone overly impressive. I can't remember. I think it might have been Arkansas State. Um, but Kareem Hunt had like 234 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, he just ha- he just imposed his will, and I don't know if anyone else out there knows that, but you can impose your will in the MAC. Oh yeah, and and I think he's that whole team. There's enough on that whole team that they could be a real fun team to watch this year, and I expect him to be the the top guy leading the scoring frenzy. My next guy um, is a guy that you know very well, although you have no idea who he plays for. Uh, and I think it's Lafayette, Louisiana <laughs> Lafayette. It's yeah. either Lafayette or yeah. Monroe, but it's Elijah McGuire. Yeah. And um, he was in somewhat of a timeshare last year where it wasn't really a timeshare as much as they gave the other guy the ball more, but McGuire just did more with it. Um, now that he's gone, this other gentleman whose name escapes me, uh, I think McGuire is in a prime position to just be that next running back from a smaller school that absolutely explodes. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> to end things, I'm going to go with Jarvion Franklin, uh, Western Michigan, who's another powerhouse team. In terms of the Mac, those let's not get carried away in saying they're a general powerhouse, but I expect that ball to be run a lot. I expect him to be 18, 18, 50, 24, 25 touchdowns. A lot of that offense is going to go through him. Definitely a guy you want to look at for your fantasy squad. And uh, he will be expensive, though. That's one thing about the Mac running backs is they catch on pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's tough to budget them with uh, you know the quarterback uh, your daughter or something like that it's it's tough to get those guys together it is so let's see where you're at on yeah. the back issue obviously we talked about Elliot and Perrine but let's go LSU and your guy Leonard Fournette this is a guy last year that had a ton of potential and somehow got in the doghouse or something I don't know the politics of it but he kind of faded into the background I think this year he really takes the next step and uh, could be a sleeper Heisman uh, candidate this year. Uh, next, I go to Georgia, and I go to Nick Chubb and Keith Marshall. Kind of the same way I look at the Ohio State quarterbacks, I look at the Georgia running backs with Chubb, Marshall, Sonny Michel. Um, you can plug any of those guys in, and they're a top back in the nation. Uh, you know, For daily fantasy, I think it's going to be tough at times because if Nick Chubb is the so-called starter, Keith Marshall comes in the game, busts a couple big ones, now Keith Marshall is the you know, pseudo starter. So he's going to get the majority of the carries. Uh, but I think you can't go wrong with any of those guys. And uh, the last one I have on my list is Derrick Henry. If Alabama's going to be good, Derrick Henry is going to be good. And uh, there's just no way around it. Yep, absolutely um, no disagreement from me whatsoever. Uh, our wide receivers, we only have two of five that are the same, and they are first and foremost Pharaoh Cooper. I just think he's in a really good situation in South Carolina, and you just never know. I mean, he had one game last year where he just went off, and he was running touchdowns, throwing them, catching them. Yeah. I mean, if you have a running 
anytime you have a running back who could be in a position, or anytime you have a wideout that could be in any kind of position like that where he's running the ball and even throwing the ball, you have to look at him because they're going. That that's a pretty clear evidence that they're going to try to make him a major part of the offense. So I, I think it's pretty clear why we both have him there. Yeah. And um, then we both have Nelson Spruce. And I think my biggest reason for Nelson Spruce, Nelson Spruce was a lot like Kevin White last year, where the first nine weeks of the season, they were just like, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. But at the end, you were like, where where is this person? Yeah. You know? And can, can I stop you for a second? And sure. uh, those are the only two we have in common. Okay, you can confirm that. Uh, how do you not have the leading receiver from last year in your top five? To me, it's actually really simple. Is I don't like the situation that he's in. He doesn't have D. Hart there to take some of the attention off of him, and he doesn't have Garrett Grayson there anymore yeah. either. So he's down two of the offensive threats that I think gave him that opportunity. It's not for a lack of talent on his part. Yeah. It's just around him. Right, and obviously we're talking about Richard Higgins from Colorado State, led the nation in touchdowns, yards, and yards per game. And I think you look at a situation like that, and I think to your aspect, I think that actually might help him because he's a year older. He's a year better in the weight room, uh, you know, running routes, you know, catching balls from his quarterback that, you know, whoever it might be, I don't know. But, uh, you know, they're going to be down in games. That's no offense to Colorado State, but I feel that they're going to be down in a lot of games. Uh, They're going to have to throw the ball. And, if he can show the separation and the route running ability that he did last year, there's no reason he can't produce the same numbers that he did last year, which makes him a top five receiver, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to let you have your opinion, and at the yeah. end of the year, I will definitely say I told you so. Cause yeah, absolutely. This with, is why we're doing this. With <laughs> nobody to take that emphasis off of him, the defenses could key in on him. And listen, hey, the season hasn't started you know, D. Hart was an Alabama transfer, right. but he still wasn't getting a lot of buzz. But he was a solid player. You know, very easily somebody could step up and be that other person. It's not the first time it would have happened where before the season starts you don't see it. Yeah. And then as a few games go on. But I just don't like the situation for him. I'm surprised that you don't have Corey Coleman on your list. It's the same situation. It, it's the same situation with my Georgia running backs. You know, okay, it's Coleman, it's it's Cannon, it's it's X receiver, it's the F receiver, it's the Z receiver. You can't you can't go into that game and feel a hundred percent confident that X player is going to get seventeen catches. You, you just can't do it. There's two. There's only one football. That's not invalid entirely, but you can look at the game logs, and I mean, he was playing. He's actually playing with one less quality receiver this year because Anton Goodley is gone and if you look at the game logs and you look at his stats he was consistently game in and game out once he came back from the injury he was the go-to guy and I see no reason for that to happen not to happen again this year I think Goodley's numbers are going to be distributed amongst the other guys and I think Coleman stands to be in a pretty decent position. The other guy I'm kind of surprised that you didn't have because we've talked about him a lot is Sterling Shepard. Yeah, and I think for me it comes down to the injury bug. And I think it I think it comes down to the fact that his team around him and, and I guess you could look at the same thing for Richard Higgins in that aspect and maybe hypocritical, but it, they play in a better conference, you know, it, which is weird to say that the Big 12 is a better conference. But top to bottom 
the defenses and defensive schemes that they're going to be looking at aren't going to be better than the Colorado State defenses and the defensive players that Richard Higgins could be looking at. So for that reason, I can't push there. And I love that. I think he's going to be a great player. I hope he can stay healthy, and I hope at the end of the season I'm looking back going, man, I should have had him there. And he was just on the outside of my list looking in. Who's the last guy on your list? Ah, my guy would be Duke Williams from Auburn. You know, a guy that probably nobody's going to be talking about uh, right now. Um, you know, he had 45 catches last year, which you're going, ah, 45 catches. He, you know, whatever. Uh, this is a guy that can fly. Uh, he's got pretty good hands and a better quarterback, which we all know is a big deal. Uh, so, you know, Auburn, if they're better, just like I say with Derrick Henry in Alabama, if Auburn is better, Duke Williams is better as well. Yeah, I, I won't necessarily disagree with that. I think he was well on his way to a heck of a season before um, his gruesome injury. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, he's definitely poised to be one of those guys uh, to to up his game this year. My final guy is Corey Davis, who's another one of those. I'm not quite sure who he is. Uh, he's from Western Michigan, and um, he's just great. He is a yeah. top-tier receiver. He's going to be getting... A lot of focus from the quarterback, and uh, that's pretty much what you're looking for. You're looking for a guy who's going to be out there and who's going to be catching the football and uh, getting yards after the catch. That's really, really important. I mean, yeah, catches are, are important, and we can talk about that for a quick second without really going too, too much into the whole daily fantasy football perspective but sites on occasions depending which site you're playing on will give you you know extra points every time the person catches uh, a, a ball because you know the running I think it's it's almost like an offset type situation where yeah they're trying to offset the fact that obviously the running back touches the ball so much more so they have such a better opportunity for points. Um, A lot of the focus on the offense uh, will be on him. And it's kind of crazy to think about it that I had their, their wide receiver ranked at number two and their running back ranked at number four. That should just show you how awesome these Mac games are because you could have a play, two players on the same team at two different positions and they're both going to be considered near the top overall at their position i think that's that's a tremendous thing to be able to say so drew we're running short on time we're gonna have to wrap it up we will be back next week um starting on our conference breakdowns and we're gonna start with who gotta go with some action no we're not going with maxion we're going with the big 10 how are you gonna go to maxion before we talk about the reigning national champions in their division we are going to go to Maction after that, though. Drew, do you have any closing comments for our uh, listeners today? I just think, you know, at the end of the day, all these podcasts, I hope you guys are enjoying them. We're going to get better. We're going to, every single week, we're going to bring, hopefully, you know, our best, just like all these players and all these colleges and conferences, just like they do every single week. We're going to bring our best to you guys, and I hope you tune in next week. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm going to try to fight Drew every week, and I hope he tries to fight me, 
And uh, that'll definitely add to the entertainment value as we become a little more public with our um, scrapes and scraps with each other over yeah. what we don't agree with. But, hey, it's been great talking to you today. It's always a pleasure to talk college football with someone who has uh, a good amount of knowledge in the subject. So to everyone who's listening, thank you. Check us out at www.cfbpros.com. Find us on Facebook at College Football Pros and follow us on Twitter at, at CFB Pros. Once again, thank you very much. You guys have a great day.